0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. As we mentioned, we gave you those numbers uh, earlier in the show around uh, the jobs added in the month of February. But where is the state of the labor market right now? With more analysis on the jobs report and where we stand at the moment, we welcome in Matthew Bidwell, Associate Professor of Management here at the Wharton School. Matthew, great to talk to you again. Good to speak to you. So a big jobs number uh, this month and obviously last month as well. And I think the question is, really, where do we stand right now some almost, uh, what, uh, 24, 26 months after this pandemic started?
1: Um, things look pretty good. I mean, so, I mean I'm mean, i a died in the wool pessimist. So if you'd ask me when the pandemic started, you know, I was ready for a long, drawn-out recovery of the kind that we saw kind of for the both 2001 and 2008 recessions. Instead, we've had this incredibly rapid bounce back. We're not where we were. um, And so unemployment is still fractionally higher than it was at the end of 2019. Kind of the number that most people look at a lot, which is just what proportion of people are um, in employment, is still lower. Um, You know, that may partly be retirements, but actually even if you look at, Prime-aged individuals, um so people aged 25 to 54, you know, we've still lost about a percentage point of um, of employment out of the workforce. So we're not we're not back to where we were. Um then again, I think it's worth remembering that where we were was um you know, historically a very good labour market. Um and right. so kind of by the end of 2019, early 2020 we basically clawed our way back um, to where we'd been kind of in the late 1990s. Um, and so we are in what is historically a very good labor market, at least by the stance of the last you know, 30 or 40 years.
0: So is the expectation then at some point over the next maybe year to 18 months that we should expect to get, a good amount of those jobs that are still or I should say the people that uh, are not in the labor force that we would count that were pre pandemic, that we would be able to get them back in the labor force over that uh, over that next year, year and a half.
1: Uh, it seems plausible. I mean, there's still you know, we're not seeing a lot of momentum yet. So we're not seeing kind of the recovery taper off quite yet. Um I mean, when you look at the other indicators, particularly the number of job openings that employers are posting, wage growth, that sort of thing, um, you know, the conditions are there to pull people back into the um, labor market. People who might have been discouraged from searching for jobs, searching for jobs is getting easier. People who might have been wondering whether it's worthwhile working, rewards are generally going up, and so across all of those things. Yeah, I would expect to continue to see people being brought back into the labour market. I mean, you know, to the point which, yeah, pre-pandemic, I think people were wondering you know, exactly how many people can we bring into the labour market. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there have been a sense that once unemployment went below probably 5% or so, you'd start to see inflation ticking up. What we saw in the late 2010s was... Yeah, unemployment getting lower and lower below that level without any sign of inflation. Um, Yeah, I think there is a sense that there is a point at which the labor market is running so hot it becomes inflationary. Yeah, obviously, we do see big issues with inflation at the moment, um, but we're seeing them at levels of unemployment that didn't appear inflationary before. Um, But I think that also, if you had asked people in 2015 – can the labor market be this good? They would probably be surprised.
0: One of the stories that's been talked about a lot. And get your thoughts on it is this kind of mismatch of of skills and what jobs are out there right now. How much uh, of that is, is in the thought press uh, process? I should say of you when you're considering the the state of the labor force, and, and how much of it is a concern that's actually being or getting ready to be addressed here in the near future.
1: Um, I mean, I think we've been talking about that for a long time. What's actually been interesting here, kind of when you talk about those kind of mismatch ideas, often what people have been talking about is, you know, we need a lot more STEM workers and that sort of thing. What's right. been interesting over the last year is that the the bits of the labor market that are really hot are not the kind of, you know, traditional STEM skills, data scientists, all of that sort of stuff, the bits that are where workers are in huge demand are less educated workers. I mean, one of the, in a sense, great things that we've seen um, over the last few years is, or over the last year or so, is pretty much the first time in about 20 years, wage growth has been higher among workers who just have a high school education than it has been among workers with a college education. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think the workforce could always be better educated. You know, the, the more investments we make in the human capital of the workforce um the better our economy is going to run. Um, But you're not seeing kind of, you know, the workers who are in demand here are not particularly kind of ones with, you know, highly advanced formal
0: skills. Is the great resignation, is that cooling at this point? Or if it hasn't yet, will it cool somewhat in the near future? It looks to have
1: stabilized. So when you look at kind of the other, set of figures that people pay a lot of attention to, which is the job openings and labor turnover figures, they've stopped going up. Um, They're still remarkably high. So job openings is 40 or 50 percent higher than it was pre-pandemic. Turnover is still substantially higher. So quits are still substantially higher than they were um, pre-pandemic. So they're no longer going up, which is going to be a relief to employers. Um, they're not yet really coming down.
0: Joined by Matthew Bidwell, associate professor of management here at the at the Wharton School. The other side I, I also wanted to bring up with you is, is obviously the shift to more remote work and uh, the attraction that that is providing for many people in a variety of different jobs and how that might impact uh, where we're headed as a labor force in the years ahead.
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, yes, I could imagine that, you know, to the extent to which you're looking at kind of the total number of people in the labour force, um, there may be some people for whom the commute is not worthwhile, for whom the flexibility of working at home just tips them over the edge in terms of coming into the labour force and getting jobs. So yes, that that could help us grow the labour force a little bit. I mean, it's worth noting. yeah. My job can be done largely remote. Um, it's not the norm. Um, right. And so probably 70% of jobs or something like that pretty much have to be done on site. Um, you know, we have seen, I think, a permanent shift in the proportion of work that gets done remotely. Um, but it's, I think it's still a minority.
0: Right. And, and a lot of the jobs that maybe are still out there to be filled at this point are ones that really can't be done remotely. They are the, you know, the leisure and hospitality, uh, uh, the healthcare sector. The, you know, those are jobs where you, yes. for the most part, have to be on site to be able to get them done.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think it is kind of leisure and hospitality has been a huge part. Entertaining, as I'm sure you've heard, pretty much the most in-demand job at the moment is recruiter. Um, Companies can't even hire the people to help them hire. That probably can largely be done remotely. But yes, I mean, I think it has been... You know, the sectors of the labour market that were most disrupted by COVID were that kind of, you know, bits that relied on face-to-face contact where everybody got sent home. And then the pressure of trying to bring them all back again, I think, are driving quite a lot of this kind of demand in those sectors.
0: But still, there's probably going to be an element of what we've dealt with over the last two years that is still going to carry through the economy for some time. It, I mean, it's not easy to lose the numbers of jobs that uh, we saw here in the United States over time. And, and, you know, you've recovered most of them, but still there's that two-year window of what would have been normal growth that, that maybe hasn't been recouped at this point.
1: I think so. Like I said, I mean, we were, we were already at the time – in kind of what was historically an extremely good job market. So it's not clear to me. We we would be a little better off without the pandemic in terms of the labor market. It's not clear to me how much more headroom um, there is to grow. Um, So, so yes, it has been somewhat damaging. Um, And like I say, the amazing thing to me has been how quickly it has bounced back that we could take such a major disruption to our economy. Middle at least in employment terms, it it hasn't been more damaging.
0: So then where do you focus your attention when thinking about labor and employment here in in the remainder of 2022 and beyond?
1: Um, It's a great question. I mean, I think we are in somewhat uncharted territory. Uh, It is a long time since we've seen labor in such demand that gives labor a lot of bargaining power. Um, so, you know, we're seeing some of the strikes, um, we're seeing a lot of discussion about, um, about perks being thrown at workers. From my perspective, that's all good. I mean, I think the, um, you know, the workforce has often not been on the, um, on the better end of bargaining over the last, um, over the last 20, 30 years. Um, the wild card here is inflation. we don't have a great track record of bringing inflation down without pushing up unemployment. And um, I really hope the Fed can pull it off. It is, it's is—it's a tricky maneuver.
0: What, what, explain that a little bit further. What, From a historical perspective, what is it in that combination of, of higher inflation uh, and, and impact on companies that, that plays to the negative on that?
1: So... I mean, so there's that famous line about the job of the Fed is to um, take away the punch bowl just as the party's getting started. Um, (laughs) It's kind of what you're looking at. So historically, the Fed pushed up interest rates to cool down the economy, um, to to get inflation down. Often, part of the cooling down the economy is um, starting to push up unemployment again. So as interest rates go up, companies invest less, there's less kind of work in the construction sector, those sorts of things. That, that takes work out of the economy. You start to see unemployment going up. Yeah, There's a lot of debate as to what exactly is driving inflation at the moment. There is a sense that this is not kind of a, a standard overheating problem in that there are a lot of kind of very specific supply chain problems that are causing it. I think mean, that raises optimism that we can... Um, we can get inflation down without doing damage to the labor market. But generally, raising interest rates has been something that is done to slow the economy.
0: Right. And, and the other side to that particular point is that, you know, we've kind of been in this pivot over the last uh, you know year or two uh, where a lot of companies have changed processes. Part of that is the is the remote workforce. But part of this is going to be some of these dynamics like supply chain, et cetera, that are going to have an impact longer term on, you know, how we think about getting materials to, you know, to, to market, uh, you know, the, the numbers of people that we get in. And then there's also the dynamic, which I, I'm sure you focused on as well, is just how things like, uh, you know, technological innovation are going to impact labor force in the years ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we continue to see, um, you know, this idea of digital transformation that, you um, IT gets more and more deeply embedded in, um, in how people operate. I was talking to some um, chief financial officers uh, earlier this week who were talking about how you know now they're thinking about using AI and machine learning to do their forecasts in the future that even kind of what maybe I tend to think of as fairly staid functions like accounting um, are um, are embracing some of these kind of digital tools. Um, I mean, I think that is going to continue to change things. Um, You know, we see, again, for probably much of the last 30, 35 years, we've seen increased demands for people with higher skills. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't yet seen evidence that that's actually going up further. Um, In fact, like I say, if you look at – look at where the wage growth is at the moment, it's actually among people who simply have a high school education. Um, But I think companies are wrestling with this. Yeah, everybody I think initially is like, right, let's hire some technology trained people. Uh, The problem is everybody's going through this transformation at the same time. And sooner or later, somebody's going to have to start training their workers. Um, And I think over the last three or four years, you've seen increased commitment to that by large organizations, a recognition that right. as we go through these shifts, just saying, oh, let's go out and hire a different kind of worker. They're not there. Um, and yeah. so you can train people to do this. Um, I would say it's not rocket science, but you can train people to do rocket science as well. I mean, ultimately, you can educate people in, in what they need to know. And I think increasingly companies are starting to see, really at least some portion of the workforce, we're going to have to take that on ourselves.
0: Matthew, as always, great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments. Right, nice to talk to you. Thank you, Matthew Bidwell, associate professor of management here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.